Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. We have a big show coming your way. Alan West in 10 minutes. Charles Payne at the bottom of the hour. He's going to talk about what's going on with this uh, new rescue package. Also, Charles will weigh in on the chaos uh, in the stock market with uh, little guys taking on the big guys, what the reality is. We're up 230, 240 points now, well over 30,000. We'll see how it goes. We have a lot to discuss. Go to... um, if you have uh, something you want to write, go to briankilmead.com. If you want to listen to the show anytime, briankilmeadshow.com is a place to order the podcast along with iTunes, iHeart, and as well as uh, everything else. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The former president is desperate to continue to look like he's leading the party. And the problem is, until we push back and say, you know, this is not a Trump first party. This is a country first party. Until we all kind of stand up and say that, we're going to be kind of chasing our tail here in this situation. Well, that is Adam Kinzinger. The Trump team put out their autopsy on why he lost. And it's about to release his game plan to winning in the impeachment battle. All this as the state of the GOP, as you just heard with Adam, in disarray. McCarthy has his hands full. McConnell is speaking out. We'll review it. Number two. It's not about pointing fingers or blame. It's that this became a political football. Whether a person died in a hospital or died in a nursing home, it's the people died. People died. Right. Cuomo catastrophe hitting warp speed as even the New York Times and CNN are realizing what we have known all along. His arrogance has hurt the pandemic. Responses he defies experts and his own health pros are heading for the exits. Number one. It was a very good exchange of views. I wouldn't say that we came together on a package tonight, but what we did agree to do is to follow up and talk further. Uh, Susan Collins into the, at the White House. She was never there with Trump. Is the uh, is this the art or just the start of a deal? As Republican senators and President Biden met for two hours on another rescue plan. Kind of stinks for these guys, but do you know the CBO comes out with a report, Congressional Budget Office, and says even without the rescue pa- package and with the rescue package, the economy is going to start to come roaring back in the middle of the year. Okay, so maybe we don't have to spend another $2 trillion. We've already passed four packages. I love the way Senator Schumer talks. we got to pass something. We're not going to do what we did when, in 2009 and passed a package that wasn't big enough. That was one package. I think it was $900 billion. We have done 4 to $5 trillion already during this pandemic, started by the Chinese. Evidently, Schumer is really ticked off that these 10 Republican senators went to the White House. Too bad. And they are normal, moderate Republicans. They're not anti-Trump. They're not pro-Trump. They're just saying, can we have a voice at the table? You said you want to be bipartisan or else I wouldn't even have called you. So they have a couple of plans. Tell me what it means to you. I'll just review it. In the $618 billion proposal, 
1000 the stimulus uh, payments per person. Uh, for 1600 total, uh, will be uh, the 1600 totaling uh, the, for $1,600. $500 payments for dependent adults and children. $300 per unemployment insurance. So you get your insurance plus 300 up until June 30th, then it disappears. Now, uh, what Biden wants is 1400 per person, so that's $400 more, 2000 per household, 400 per week instead of 300 per week. That's not the problem. What the real sticking point is the blank checks written to states. Providing a $300 week in enhanced federal benefits, they can agree on. Mess around with some of those dollars. The GOP proposal of $20 billion each for child care and schools, both lower than Biden proposal, he has $50 billion. But, you know, I'm giving these numbers out. It's our money. It's taxpayer money. It's not their money. There's plenty of wiggle room here. The question is, do they want to make a deal? Susan Collins kind of optimistic. Cut one. It was a very good exchange of views. I wouldn't say that we came together on a package tonight. No one expected that in a two-hour meeting. But what we did agree to do is to follow up and talk further at the staff level and amongst ourselves and with the president and vice president on how we can continue to work together on this very important issue. And, you know, the press secretary, Jen Psaki, put out a, a very benign statement where there are areas of agreement. The president also reiterated his view that Congress must respond boldly and urgently and noted many areas where the Republican senator's proposal does not address. He reiterated that while he is hopeful for a rescue plan, can pass the bipartisan with bipartisan support, a reconciliation package is a path to achieve that end. Now, reconciliation means simple 50-vote majority, which would give, with the vice president, 51. The problem is they're acting like idiots when it comes to one of their own, two of their own. They had sent the vice president of the United States to do local interviews and pressure it's seemingly the Democratic senator in that state, West Virginia, Joe Manchin. He watch, looks up and there's the vice president saying how everyone needs to do this through reconciliation, no negotiation. Same thing with Kristen Sinema in Arizona. I mean, I could see if they were Republicans. I, go, I would think that's aggressive. But can you imagine if you're a Democrat, you don't even get a heads up that the vice president's doing interviews in your city to send a message? To me, that's pretty bad. Uh, and I don't think either are ready to vote for it yet. Listen to John Tester. What were you thinking of Montana, giving this guy more time? So John Tester is also allegedly a moderate in a red state. He says he would like to see changes to Biden's plan, though he added he would likely come around to supporting it. But push comes to shove. It doesn't get changed. I'll vote for it. OK, thanks. So I stand for nothing. Joe Manchin says in another key vote, obviously, he said uh, Jim Justice, the go- governor of uh, West Virginia, said to Congress shouldn't shy away from spending money on relief. He said, quote, if we actually throw some money right now, so if we throw some money away right now, so what? We've got to get on the move again and get people taken care of and back to work. So that's the Republican governor and then the Democratic uh, vice president putting pressure on Joe Manchin, who said, no, I'm here to negotiate. So I, I admire that. I hope he sticks with that. I'm a little surprised by that. So here is what uh, Tim Scott said. And I think this echoes a lot of what I started this segment with. We have not spent the money we already allocated for rescue. Yet we need another $2 trillion that we don't have on rescue. Safe to say Tim Scott's not voting for a cut seven. 
Well, Trey, I think one of the things we should recognize is, number one, over FY 2020, this country spent $6.5 trillion, trillion dollars overall, over $4 trillion on COVID relief. In December, we approved another $900 billion, and less than 20% of those dollars have been spent. The question is, what's the hurry? We don't even know what happened with the December $900 billion. And so what we have to do now is take a step back and find out how to effectively manage this virus. And I would say that perhaps we're already there, but we won't know because we haven't spent all the resources deployed to help America recover from this global pandemic. And until we do that, it is way too early to negotiate a $2 trillion package or a $1 trillion package when a $900 billion package that we approved has not been spent. Right. And he doesn't want to negotiate. They have to do it in an emergency through reconciliation. Meanwhile, we knew it over the summer when Nancy Pelosi didn't budge off her dollar and no pressure came from then minority leader Chuck Schumer to get something passed, get something done. It wasn't until after the election where they signed off on $900 billion when they could have had uh, close to over a trillion. But she didn't want to do it because she didn't want to give Trump the boost. Sickening, right? Next, on Cuomo, the most popular governor in the country. Man, people are getting an understanding of how bad he is. Nine separate health officials have retired or been fired or walked away because they cannot stand Governor Cuomo. They were complaining that they didn't even know the policy until they watched him talk about it on a press conference. Then they would respond. They had a pandemic plane in place after 9-11. They thought they were going to get hit by a we. I could say well, I'm in New York. They thought going to hit by some type of biobomb. There was a whole plan in place. There was a plan in place for vaccination. He blew it all up. He knew more. And he was the one saying to Trump, follow the science. We follow the science. Look at what he said on Friday, cut 18. The experts, in quotes, those are air quotes, uh, because I don't believe anyone really knows what's coming with COVID. Uh, And that's been true since day one. Uh, They give us their best medical advice, but nobody knows. You believe this? So now he doesn't believe the experts. Now nobody knows. Not even the scientists. That even was too much for CNN to handle. Jake Tapper, Cut 19 with Sanjay Gupta. That seems like a wildly irresponsible thing for a leader to say during a pandemic. We, we need the public to believe the experts. Do you have any concerns? I'm, I'm really uh, quite, quite stunned that that's what he said. Look, when you lose CNN, where his brother works, I'm not saying you lost them, but when they're critical of him, Nine health officials walk away. They say because a lot of it because morale is so low. What a leader. Yeah, but Robert De Niro likes him, and Fauci thinks he's cool. Fantastic. Look what we are stuck with here. one 408 I want to talk about where the Republican Party is going. And the governor of Texas gave a State of the State address yesterday and really made some news. And I want to talk about what he did. That story, then the latest on the economy. But at the bottom of the hour, I'll take your phone calls. one 408 7669 Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com.
As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Texas prides itself on low regulations. I will continue working with the legislature to find ways to navigate a pandemic while also allowing businesses to remain open. States like California and New York, they use heavy-handed government tactics that drive away businesses. Some government officials across the country shut down churches during the pandemic. We must ensure that freedom to worship is forever safeguarded. Politicians from the federal level to the local level have shouted, heck yes, the government is coming to get your guns. We won't let that happen in Texas. Uh, so the governor of Texas already has Attorney General fight back, push back on people who say that we're going to stop deportations at the border for 100 days. They went ahead and a judge says that's not going to happen for now. And now Texas is letting it be known they're going to be ready to take action on this, uh, the president of the United States, because he's signing these executive orders that affect that state of Texas. As we come out of the coronavirus, I hope the numbers are going down. No one is unaffected. We're all hit by it. But Texas is going to be one of the least hurt by it because they tried to work through it. That's not that's not new news to my next guest, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, senior fellow at the Media Research Institute. Uh, And he has this great book, Hold Texas, Hold the Nation. Colonel, I, I love love what I heard in that State of the State address. You too? Yeah, you know, uh, we have eight legislative priorities for the Republican Party of Texas, and it was very nice to hear the governor, you know, echo some of those uh Priorities. Uh, he talked about the religious liberty, which is one constitutional carry, which is another one of those. But uh, we definitely, without a doubt, have to make sure that we protect ourselves in this state from the overreach of uh, Joe Biden as the president and the 40 plus some odd uh, executive orders that he is signing to include three today that's supposed to also deal with illegal immigration. So one of the things that we have to look at here in Texas and other states is to you know, reassert ourselves under the 10th Amendment because those powers that are not delegated to the federal government are reserved to the states and to the people. And it is a threat to the sovereignty of the great state of Texas if Joe Biden is trying to, uh, you know, do an open borders policy by way of executive order and not through the legislative
the process. So we have got to continue to be a bulwark against that uh, intrusive nature of this uh, progressive socialist leftist lurch of Joe Biden. Uh, Lurch, yeah. And now he's going to sign more uh, uh, more executive orders today. It's going to be up around 50. It's sick. This green mm-hmm. agenda. I, I know that Democrats are for the green agenda. I didn't know they'd just be oblivious to the ramifications of it as tens of thousands are losing their jobs. And I'm not exaggerating. If you think about the drilling, you think about the pipeline and you think about the border. Mm-hmm. So think about this. Gina McCarthy, who's National Climate Advisor, like we need one. Listen to her and and, and understand, too. Uh, Green energy is also about equity and racial justice. Cut 10. Climate change is a racial justice issue because it exacerbates the challenges in the communities that have been left behind. It goes after the very same communities that pollution has held back and racism has held back. Climate justice is about equal rights. Please, I mean, try not to throw up. (laughs) That's quite delusional drivel. And you think about it now, how many people in uh, lower middle or lower income families can go out there and buy a Tesla, an electric car? Or what's going to happen when we take away the fossil fuels and are they going to be able to put solar panels on their homes to uh, be able to to take care of their homes as far as uh, energy? Now, another thing that these leftists don't understand is Texas is the largest state for uh, wind production. But yet, one of the things you have to understand about wind energy, you still need natural gas to push that energy through the system. So now they want to get rid of natural gas. I mean, that's going to have a detrimental effect on the wind industry here in Texas. So, you know, us being energy independent, our oil and and natural gas that we are exporting and we are able to use, that's not just an economic issue, keeping uh, Americans at work. That's a national security issue. And for whatever reason, it seems that the left would rather have us crippled than going back and begging hat in hand to these OPEC countries who really don't care for the United States of America. Hey, uh, Colonel, uh, the, the Republican Party is tearing each other's eyes out at a time in which they should be unifying against this uh, agenda, which is easy to unify against, and most people I don't well, think are for it. So what, where do you stand with this Liz Cheney uh, needs to be ousted? Where do you stand uh, with Congresswoman Green and some of her bizarre views? Well, again, you know, that, that's, that's up to the constituents. Uh, if those the constituents are happy with the people that they elected to go up there and represent them, but what the Republican Party needs to do is unify and look at the uh, political opposition that they have. You have Nancy Pelosi calling Republicans enemies. Uh, you have people like Cory Bush. Think about Cory Bush, who led the BLM march against Mark and Patty McCloskey, calling for her rape, his murder, their house to be burned down. Why don't we take all this collective energy and focus it against the uh, agenda of the left instead of shooting ourselves in the foot? Uh, and, and, you know, without a doubt, we're going to have internal issues, internal squabbles. But I think we need to be supporting each other, not tearing down each other. We shouldn't be calling each other cancers and uh, we shouldn't be, you know, impeaching. Uh, you know. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Our own president thinks of this nature, but. 
if some people believe that that's a vote of their conscience, uh, such as Ms. Cheney, uh, there's going to be ramifications. And I think you've seen the Wyoming GOP say, you know, that's not what we sent you up there to Washington, D.C. to do. You're not representing our voice. Yeah, I, I just think that uh, the, they're way overstepping. You know how smart she is, how what a true conservative she is, how tough she is. And she would say she votes with the president, I think, 97 percent of the time. But when she was called out on stage, she said, listen, I think this is way overboard. So you can understand where she's coming from, right? Yeah, I can understand where she's coming from. But again, I think that, you know, when when you had President Barack Obama, who abandoned Americans to die in Benghazi and then lied about it, show me a Democrat that came out and, and went after him. Zero. And, and, yes. Good point. Um, so I, yeah, good point. I know. Uh I understand. I just I just cannot believe, uh, you know, Matt Gates would waste his time going to Wyoming instead of going to where the XL pipeline is. I mean, there, there's better ways to I use would. your energy. Absolutely. Yeah. Colonel, thanks so much. Always appreciate it. And now I know why you moved to Texas. Uh, uh, we're going to take your calls next. one 408 Then Charles Payne. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We need to understand that trying to be per se, fiscally responsible at this point in time with what we've got going on in this country. If we actually throw away some money right now, so what? We have really got to move and get people taken care of and get people back on balance. And I want to work with the Biden administration just like I worked with the Trump administration, and Mm -hmm. I want us to move forward. Yeah, listen, uh, Governor Jim Justice, it seems that we've, we've met him. He's a great guy. And he was a very successful businessman. He was a Democrat. He was a fan of Trump's. He's got his West Virginia uh, state. They have a lot of challenges. But one thing is pretty clear. When it comes to the vaccination and when it came to this pandemic, they were ready to act. He's very organized. They were very united. And now he's saying, get me some money at the states. I understand that. It's almost selfish. But if you're a state, if I'm running a state and I care about my people, I'm going to bat. I'm trying to get it from the federal government. But it's up to the federal government to realize you can't do this for 50 So here's what Casey Hunt of MSNBC says. Why would the governor of West Virginia pressure the senator from West Virginia, who's a Democrat, cut five? I think Jim Justice, the Republican governor, gave Joe Manchin a lot of cover yesterday in going out and saying, no, help us. We need more help. And I think that's something that's coming universally from governors. I don't I don't understand what the move was to send to send the the vice president out to West Virginia television stations to talk about Mm. this in a way that surprised Joe Manchin. Uh, I think you really want to make sure that you're having a lot of close personal conversations with him, keeping him very close. And if he's upset about something, it's it, it's a it's a big risk uh, to have him be upset about something like that. And, and frankly, yeah. <laughs> the calculation, you yeah, know, it's, it's, different a, it's just a dumb calculation, especially going after cinema. I, I just don't think Joe would. Is Joe Biden even in charge? Would, is he? What kind of decision is that? Uh, let's go with Glenn listening in WHIO in Dayton, Ohio. Hey, Glenn. Hey, how you doing, Brian? I appreciate you taking my call. No problem. What's on your mind? Um, I, I want to talk to you about that $15 minimum wage. Oh. Um, I know I, the, what I want to ask you, I want your opinion, because everything I hear, I hear, you know, $15 minimum wage is going to affect Walmart, Amazon, McDonald's. But in reality, it's really going to affect the small businesses. That's the it. People with, 
30 people and less. I, I have a small business. I have 30 people. Most of my employees are the age 16 to 18 years old. I have four people on salary. But the 16, 18-year-old kids really paying them $15 minimum wage, they're living at home with mom and dad. So when, when I have to really sit and think about this, McDonald's it might not be a big deal for McDonald's to raise up in minimum wage, but a mom and pop shop? It's, it's we have to raise our prices. Remember, with McDonald's, you got private franchise owners. So, yeah, they got corporate support, but they paid their fees and they got franchise owners. But you're 100 percent right. These corporations that say it's OK, they can absorb it. But I'm worried about, you know, in California, they're not even taking into account the tips, gratuity wages. You know, I, I waited for about five, six, seven years and I never even I would forget to pick up my check. It would be so small. I think it would be like sixty dollars every two weeks because I was getting whatever minimum wage. I think it was three thirty five. I think it was I was getting two thirty five an hour. And every two weeks I get like 60 bucks. You didn't care. You worked hard for the tips. You, you walked out with cash. And Reagan was the first one to make you declare them. So they are just – they looked at small business. Most of these governors destroyed the small businesses in their state. And now they're going to go support $15 minimum wage and act like it's for the working men and women? It's not. Now there's going to be less jobs and less places to work. Right. I, I'm, just con- I'm, I'm just concerned. My wife and myself, we sit and talk about this. We have to come up with another business plan. Um, we do a lot of helping out with a lot of the families that come to our company and stuff. To pay these kids the $15, I don't know where the money is going to come from. So at the end of the day, I don't feel like these Democrats are really caring about the small businesses. They're always talking about big businesses, the Amazons, the Walmart. Okay, great, $15 for, for Walmart or Amazon. I understand that. But for me, I don't know what we're going to do. It kills you, and it, and you, you still want you know you don't want government to uh, support the best they can, but the most of all, don't hurt you. These guys are hurting you, and the, you know what it's trying to do? It's trying to say, "Hey, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Working Man, uh, I've got your back," but you don't. Not if you take away the business. And these are people. Do you notice that no one's saying this that actually owned a business in the past or actually came up in a restaurant? They wouldn't do it. Because one thing you learn about in business, you see a packed restaurant and you think, wow, they're doing great. But the margins are so small the uh, on drinks and food and the rent, the leases, the insurance. You can't afford to start doubling people's salary. If you don't let waiters go on a slow, bit, on a slow night, if you're not letting waiters and waitresses, you don't cut them early, you lose the profit on that night. If you don't send a cook home. Uh, you have them as a backup. If things are slow, you got to quickly gut your kitchen to make sure you're not paying too much salary. Now you've doubled everyone's wages because people making $15, they're going to want to make $25. So they say it's going to cost uh, be, uh, between one and two million jobs if you do this. Thanks so much for the call. And that is in the Democratic package, but it's not in the Republican package. And I don't think Republicans are going to budge on this. Here's Britt Hume, cut eight. You know, I'm old enough, and I know Bill is, too, to remember when $600 billion was not exactly considered going small. Let's look at it this way for a moment. In terms of, the, in terms of COVID, uh, cases are down, hospitalizations are down. We now have two vaccines. Uh, there have been some delivery issues, but they're getting out there. One more is clearly on the way. Um, so the situation is such that you would think it was getting better. We're beginning, maybe beginning to see our way clear. And so is this really the time? to throw $1.9 trillion at the problem, much of it not directly related to COVID-19, all of it borrowed money, when the rest of the money that has that had been previously... 
out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The appropriated has yet to be spent. Yeah, and, and that's the key. Don't tell me you're in a massive rush if you can't spend the other money. And they have the PPP money, go out to small businesses, plenty still in that account. If you want to back it up and give people certainty for the spring, just please just don't insult me and tell me you're in a rush. Now, keep in mind, we were informed yesterday Senator Warner has been quarantined for 10 days, so he can't vote anyway. So when he comes back, you can vote. You can't afford to lose one single vote, and they don't in the Senate side allow you to miss a single vote. So I love to see if Joe Biden's actually in charge, they'll get a deal done. If he is not, they won't. And you know that Schumer is going to start inserting himself along with Nancy Pelosi and say, I've been having to sit under Trump for the longest time. I'm going to use the power, Joe Biden, that you went ahead and we basically gave you because we knocked out all of your competition. The main one is a socialist, unpopular, with no track record of passing anything, whose programs who are, are great for a, a small, naive group, but certainly not to win the Democratic, not to win the, uh, Democratic nomination and to become uh, become president. When we come back, I'm going to be joined by Charles Payne. He's a host of Making Money coming up at 2 o'clock today. But when we do discuss it, I'm going to be talking about what's happening on Wall Street, David vs. Goliath, as well as this rescue package and why some people say we just don't need it. Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Finally, the little guy has the ability to fight back through a convergence of technology, the platforms for trading, the ability to communicate as a group. So yes. in the past, you could have never done this before. So there are two types of short sellers in this world. There's the legitimate ones that's a natural part of the market. And there's another part that are these hedge funds that gang up and literally will short a stock almost down to zero out of business. They try to spread negative news. They'll start investigations. And that's what has started with GameStop, massively overshorting the stock. Jordan Belfort breaking down that fame for the Wolf of Wall Street played by Leonardo DiCaprio, talking about the little guy doing big over the big guy. The guy who made sense of this and was able to break it down like nobody else joins me now. Charles Payne, host of Making Money with Charles Payne, starts at 2 o'clock on FBN. Uh, Charles, first off, you've been trading since how old? Uh, I bought my first mutual fund when I was 17 and my first stock when I was 18. It was MCI. I read an article about this maverick who was taking on the biggest company in the world, AT&T, with a series of rooftop TV antennas. And uh, he did pretty good. The stock did pretty good. And I became interested in it when I was 14. So uh, when this was happening, I mean, so you've been involved in this and you've been advising people for how, for how long? Uh, I started my own business in, I think it was 1989, 1990, over, over 30 years. So for 30 years you've been doing this. Have you ever seen anything like this? And for the layman like myself, how would you describe what took place, what's been taking place over the last few weeks, which really came to a head last, uh, last Friday? I've never seen anything like this because there's never been these kind of tools out there, uh, Brian. You know, uh, the Internet, 
commission-free trading, uh, combined with a, a lot of money sloshing around, uh, and just a, a, an awareness of, of a group of people, uh, a demographic, you call them Gen Z, young millennials, uh, all of that came into a perfect storm. And, and what essentially happened, uh, and, and, and by the way, you know, I think the genesis of this goes throughout their lifetime. I think these are the young folks who grew up and they watched their parents uh, lose a lot of money in, in, the, in the crash of 2001, 2002. Then they watched their parents lose a lot of money in 2009, but they discovered that if their parents had actually been buying some of the stocks they were selling, they might have actually made a fortune. That you know, it's, in, in the meantime, a lot of the stocks Wall Street told them to own. They said, "Buy, hold, 20, 30 years, you retire greatly." Those great names didn't work out. The GEs of the world went straight down. IBM went straight down. Nokia went straight down. Exxon Mobil went straight down. These were the behemoths that were supposed to make you retire in comfort. So, armed with this and the tools to go and and, and be more active in the market, we got this short squeeze phenomenon. And it's been happening a little bit for a few few weeks, maybe even a couple of months now. Uh, but it came to a crescendo, you know. Uh, you know, some of these things how they build on mm -hmm. each other. Uh, you know, the audience got larger, and essentially, uh, there were certain companies, certain stocks out there that large hedge funds had zeroed in on to crush. And, and you know, and again, you know, if you if you see a stock at a hundred dollars and you think it's overvalued, and maybe it should be seventy dollars. There are techniques, including shorting, to try to take advantage of that. What these campaigns were, though, were deliberate efforts to try to crush these names. And, and one of the easiest reasons to know this is because they didn't short just 100% of the stock, which is, which is really impossible since you have to borrow the stock. Uh, they shorted 140% of GameStop, which obviously should be, should be and is technically illegal, is certainly unethical, and it certainly says more than, than right. hey, I think this company is overvalued. It says, I am going to make this company go to zero. And, and by the way, so just to clarify, these are the big guys doing that, the big hedge funds. These are the big doing. guys. These yeah. are the hedge funds. And the little guys decided they're going to buy it, and they're going to make it a value, making the, the betting on – you're betting that they're losing, and now you're going to say, I'm going to make them a winner. I'm going to destroy these people. They fought back. And, and because what happens is you, when you short a stock, you, you either borrow it or you just sell it without owning it. And the idea is I'll sell it at 10. I don't own it, but I'll buy it at one, and I'll replace the stock that I bought, but the difference I make, I put in my pocket. So, you know, they, keep, they kept selling and selling and selling and selling and selling this stock. Uh, you know, some of it borrowed. Obviously, you couldn't borrow at all because there's no such thing as 140% of anything. Uh, you know, you could borrow 100%. Even that is far-fetched because right. people who love and own the company would not, be, would not lend you their stock so that you can deliberately send it down. So what what happened is uh, they uh, Robinhood, who was who was the trading vehicle that these uh, these these sellers, excuse me, the buyers who were the little guys were using, could no longer afford to were not liquid enough to afford to back up what they were selling, so they shut down. And here's what Rob Portnoy said: I've been trading heavily since quarantine started, and I was shocked by this. Uh, I personally did invest in AMC and Nokia. Those are two of the stocks that the Reddit guys and the Wall Street Bets guys were pushing. I believed in the power of the Internet. When I saw what uh, Robinhood was doing, ironically, Robinhood take from, you know, take from the rich and give to the poor, even though they do the exact <laughs> opposite, I was stunned. Uh, I think it's criminal. I think there has to be an investigation. I think people have to go to jail. Whether that actually happens, I don't know. 
but I've never been more convinced about market manipulation and the people, the hedge funds controlling the game than today. So do you know where he's coming from? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot of people who, I mean, again, you know, I, I put a post on Twitter last week and said, golly, you know, pro tip, don't call yourself Robin Hood if you're going to, you know, if you're going to diss the folks in Sherwood Forest after one phone call from the sheriff of Nottingham, right? I mean, it's like you lure these folks in with the notion of, hey, take control of your financial destiny, trade, make a lot of money. We've got your back. It turns out, Brian, that the people who trade on Robinhood are not the customers. Their, their order flow is sold to large institutions, the same institutions in many cases who are even shorting the stocks they own. Last year, Robinhood sold $1 billion of order flow to, to the likes of the citadels of the world, $1 billion worth. That's who they're beholding to, but no one knew that. They didn't put that in commercials. They didn't put that on paper. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty, thirty-one, thirty-two, thirty-five. Oh, there was something I think on page thirty-six about that. Wow. So what they said is, and the analogy he used was, Clorox and Lysol didn't know they were going to hit by a pandemic and they ran out of product. He ran out of product. Do you like that uh, analogy? I mean, do you think it could be sincere? Or Dave Portnoy no. said he thinks he's lying. No, I, I, I don't think it was sincere. Robinhood uh, had been planning an IPO, going to themselves the initial public offering that would have made everyone involved from the beginning, you know, instant gazillionaires. It's one thing to be rich on paper. It's another thing to have a publicly traded company where you can sell your stock. Uh, it's called a liquidity event, right? So they've been planning that. For about a month or so, you know, it's, it's been getting a lot of positive press. A lot of people are excited about it. Uh, so I think, really, honestly, is that they could have raised more money because remember they raised a billion dollars the day after they went to these restrictions, and then yesterday they raised another two point four billion, and then they did something with their bank. So total, they raised four billion dollars. I think they could have done it immediately. I think they could have done it with one phone call. But here's the rub: they would have had to give up some equity, perhaps. They didn't want to do so that. I think that I think they were saying, "Golly, you know what? We may go public. Do we? Really, you know, it's a, it was a hell of a thing to think I have to give up some ownership, maybe, uh, of this company. Uh, you know, in order. And again, this is choosing the side of the people who are not the true customers. Anyway, here's a Cudlow on this. I don't mind looking into it, whatever that means, but I don't really see what the issues are. I don't want to see more federal government regulations of these markets. I mean, other brokerage firms are doing it and have done it in the past. So he doesn't want to see any federal regulations. Do you? I want to see something done about naked shorting. I want to see something done about the ability to short 140% of a company stock. Absolutely. I think it is absolutely crazy. It's nuts that you can let these, these folks do that, that you can let a handful of billionaires I'm talking about people who make a billion dollars a year that you can let them deliberately destroy a company and that we as Americans would sit by and watch it. And I consider myself a market guy. I came from nothing, right? I just bought a brand new house last Tuesday. It's an amazing house. I couldn't have done that without all of the things I've done in my life via the stock market. I've learned some lessons the hard way. I've learned everything, uh, really, trial and error. Uh, but I've been a broker. I've been a consultant. I even took a, my own company public at one time. So uh, I just think that, you know, behind all of these words and gotcha. you know, all of these 
phrases, Brian, like, I don't want government. There are human beings there. People work at GameStop. I hear you. You know, you know so I, I just think don't allow hedge funds to destroy companies. That's my narrative. That's my main Ch- message here. And we'll get that at 2 o'clock on Charles Payne Show, Making Money. Thanks, Charles. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, Laura Logan's going to be with us shortly. She was just at the border. Great series on Fox Nation. Great special on Sunday. Uh, she's going to be joining us today. Tell us what the reality is on the border. And then I'll do a simulcast on Stuart Barney's show on 1050. That's Eastern Time on FBN, that business channel. And coming up in 10 minutes, inside this pandemic, Dr. Kanta Ahmed will be with us. And she's at the eye of the storm. She's uh, working in a, a NYU hospital here. Uh, and uh, she's been teaching, taking COVID patients in. She'll tell us right now that 50% of the country in a survey said they will not take the vaccine. Listen, I'm not a doctor. I'm taking it. I've seen enough studies to show it. Most doctors I know have taken it already, and they're fine. If we don't take it, we're never going to get out of this. So right for now, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The former president is desperate to continue to look like he's leading the party. And the problem is, until we push back and say, you know, this is not a Trump first party. This is a country first party. Until we all kind of stand up and say that, we're going to be kind of chasing our tail here in this situation. And this is part of the problem. Adam Kinzinger going way too far in his opposition to Donald Trump. The Trump team put out their autopsy on why they lost the election. And they're going to release their game plan for winning the impeachment. All this as the state of the GOP is in disarray when they should be coming together against a terrible series of executive orders on this president. And Will McCarthy has his hands full in the House and McConnell is speaking out in the Senate. We'll review. Number two. It's not about pointing fingers or blame. It's that this became a political football. Whether a person died in a hospital or died in a nursing home, it's... People died. People died. Yeah, uh, just a clown. He is blocking all investigation, further investigation into what happened in nursing homes when most of the people that lost their lives in the first few months of this pandemic lost it uh, in New York nursing homes. Cuomo catastrophe hitting warp speed as even the New York Times and CNN are realizing what we have known all along. His arrogance has hurt the pandemic response as he defies experts and the health pros head for the exits in New York. Number one. It was a very good exchange of views. I wouldn't say that we came together on a package tonight, but what we did agree to do is to follow up and talk further. Yeah, because they put together $600 billion. That'll pay a few bills, not the $1.9 trillion. Is Is this the art or just the start of a deal? As Republican senators and President Biden met for two hours on another rescue plan. 
And I get the detail on it. You know about the $1.9 trillion. The problem is it's got stuff in there for trains and minimum wage have nothing to do with the pandemic. And they want to get right to the point. And the Republicans do not want to bail out these states. And Joe Biden's more than happy to do so with your money. So he's got the $1.9 trillion. The Republicans have this $618 billion, 1,000 stimulus payments per person, $500 payments for dependent adults and children, $300 per week unemployment insurance on top of getting unemployment insurance. So there's a lot out there. We'll see if Joe Biden wants to do a deal because obviously if he'll come down a little bit and Republicans come up, that's the way it works in life. We can get a deal done. Uh, Chuck Schumer, though, not optimistic because he never is. Cut to. We welcome welcome Republican input. Let me say that again. There is nothing in this process, the budget resolution or reconciliation, that precludes our work from being bipartisan. In fact, the Senate has used this process no fewer than 17 times to pass bipartisan legislation since 1980. COVID relief, too, should be the work of both Democrats and Republicans. Yeah, uh, but he wants his thing. He does not want to take less money, and he says they could sign on to it. That's his stance. Now, that could be a stance, which is why I said for this one, is this the art of the deal? I'm not budging, I'm not budging, I'm not budging. The last minute you budge a little and you feel like it's done a lot. Meanwhile, the CBO came out with a study, not great timing for Joe Biden, and said regardless of whether they have a rescue plan or not, this, this economy is going to begin to come back in the middle of the year. And unemployment will continue to improve gradually for the next four years at 6.7%. Now, roughly, it's going to get better and better. What they did, which was just so dumb, is they sent Kamala Harris to do local interviews in West Virginia, I assume, to pressure Joe Manchin to go along with this because Republicans, excuse me, Democrats cannot lose one. Well, he was furious when he saw Kamala Harris on TV, Cup 14. I saw it. I couldn't believe it. No one called me. We're going to try to find a bipartisan pathway for it. I think we need to, but we need to work together. That's not a way of working together. Yeah, it isn't. And they went to Kristen Cinema over in Arizona to pressure her. Uh, these people have pride. I mean, you don't, you don't have a huge ego and not run for the Senate. I mean, come on. One weekend, you got to try to intimidate him. Listen to Kamala Harris, too. By the way, not a great politician. She might be bright. She doesn't study. I haven't seen anything of her. Maybe that's intentional. But, man, I've never seen a lower-profile vice president. Listen to this interview. Listen for the word landmines. Landmines. Cut 13. When you talk to him about climate change, the first thing that he talks about is job creation. And so it's job creation around investing in American manufacturing, job creation in terms of investing in American infrastructure and building up, back up American infrastructure, job creation around, for example, all of those skilled workers who are in the coal industry, transferring those skills to what we need to do in terms of dealing with reclaiming abandoned um, uh, landmines. Exactly. Uh, there's got a lot of money in that. Reclaiming American landmines. We, we stuck them in Vietnam and we forgot where we put them. What's she even talking about? Landmines. And by the way, have you ever seen more, heard more generic comments about jobs, green jobs, than that? Green jobs. You take away jobs that they were going to and you stop them from going there immediately. And then you tell them about jobs in the future, about industry, manufacturing, green jobs coming back here. None of which pay nearly as much as those jobs pay. So you have them trying to intimidate everybody. But the problem is that we haven't even spent the money. 
that we've given over already. By the way, it's our money. Just to reiterate, our money. 1-866-408-7669. Finally, Tim Scott on the problem with him signing off on this package. Cut 15. Having the vice president talk about uh, destroying coal jobs in West Virginia and suggesting that the thing they should do is to go find landmines. Number one, the, one of the reasons why America thinks of D.C. as a swamp is too many politicians talk about things they've never done. But why would you send a coal miner there who's really good at coal mining but has never been uh, in landmines? That's just ridiculous hyperbole hyperbole coming from the vice president. And, and it's just uh, it's sad to hear. But good mm-hmm. news is uh, those two centrist Democrats that you talked about, they're not easy to persuade by using that type of hyperbole. Uh, by the way, I might do that for extra money. Go with a shovel to Vietnam or Cuba and just look for landmines because it doesn't seem dangerous at all. And it's very similar to what I'm doing. Just like they say, we we don't want you working coal mines. Let's teach him to code. Did anyone want to ask him? What is this? Uh, you know, is this Stalin telling us what we're going to do for a living? So let's talk about Governor Cuomo. I know he's terrible. I know he's arrogant. I know he's self-important and not aware. Not aware of what a pompous ass he is almost all the time. He's even alienated the mayor who's terrible, Democrat, And Senator Schumer, who's abrasive, but that's the guy who's going to get you money. They don't even talk. So there's problems with his vaccination program. You want to know why? Because Cuomo declined to use the longstanding vaccination plan that the State Department of Health, the State Department had developed in recent years to coordinate with local health departments. Cuomo instead adopted an approach that relied on large hospital systems to coordinate vaccination. I wonder if they're donors, not only of, of their own staffs, but also of their own population. After early problems in which relatively few doses were actually administered, the pace of the vaccination has picked up. But the problem is nobody understands the policy until they watch his press conferences and they work for him. Here's an example. In Albany, tensions worsened in recent months as state officials said they have found out about major changes to the pandemic policy watching his news conferences and then asked them to match their health guidance to the announcement. That was happening with the vaccine plan, which state officials were blindsided by the news that the rollout would be coordinated locally by hospitals because they had a plan in place. They say the morale has plummeted. Former official pointed out that during the past emergencies, the department rallied and morale soared as officials felt their talent experience was valued. In the pandemic, the opposite has happened. How bad is that? And let me add in this. Nine health officials working for the state have either resigned or quit. Quit. Retired or resigned, I should say. Their job. Nine. Thanks, Governor Cuomo. Please stop giving him a pass. On the latest, on restaurant openings, the safety of schools, and the pandemic and the variants, Dr. Kanta Ahmed joins us, a pulmonologist at NYU, then Larry Logan. And then we go Barney and Company, and I finish up with a few crisp calls. Busy hour. I think I could do it. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's not about 
pointing fingers or blame. It's that this became a political football. Whether a person died in a hospital or died in a nursing home, it's the people died. People died. So it doesn't matter. Uh, Dr. Kanta Ahmed, pulmonologist at NYU Langone, she's been at the forefront of this battle against this pandemic from day one. Wrote an article following the science means ending restaurant lockdowns. Uh, Dr. Ahmed, welcome back. I just have to inform our viewers about listeners about one thing. Multiple FBI, multiple FBI agents were shot while serving a warrant in Sunrise, Florida. This happened a short time ago. Uh, spokesman for the Sunrise Police Department there uh, said the agents were serving a warrant with officers from other law enforcement agencies uh, at the Water Terrace apartment complex um, when this incident happened. So we'll follow that story. Dr. Ahmed, what makes you think we can open up? I've been looking at these stats that say under 2% of the transmission is taking place in restaurants, 70-plus percent happening in homes, and still everything's shut. Right, Brian. Actually, the transmission rate that New York State itself measured is 1.43% in restaurants. Because restaurants are doing an incredible job social distancing, COVID protocols, and cleaning their indoor air. All the science, and I provided sworn affidavit to this, shows that transmission inside homes is over 75%. So our risks inside our closed, crowded, poorly ventilated homes is much greater than the restaurants. And it's not just about wanting to go back to all my favorite restaurants, uh, which I so enjoy in New York. Those restaurants are employing 320,000 people, 27 billion in taxable sales, sales taxes, payroll taxes, fund local health authorities. All the carnage of these restaurant workers losing their jobs causes unemployment, psychological distress, depression, suicide, domestic violence, child abuse, all kinds of tragedies that are going to pile up in the coming years. So this decision our governor made to keep restaurants closed through December, we had some of the lowest prevalence rates of infection in the country, has already cost them an additional 12,000 jobs in New York. He doesn't care because they bought a bunch of carts. They bunch of lunch carts. So in other words, get people eat, the few that work here, and screw the restaurants when they come back. It's so disturbing because when the lawyers at Hogan Willard in uh, upstate uh, New York and then also the lawyers here in New York City at uh, uh, Kian Katibi's firm asked me to testify, I got to look at the state's doctor's affidavits. And it was just a bunch of guidelines. It told me that they had never seen a patient with COVID-19. They had never seen a family made destitute because their job at a restaurant had gone out. And there's more to, more to helping New York get back on its feet than hiding behind guidelines. You have to use your brain. Some of these restaurants have spent tens of thousands, if not more, making the environment so safe for their employees and their customers. It's actually safer than my workplace inside a healthcare facility. They have HEPA filters, they have UV lights, they have ventilation policies. It's amazing. We're so impressed by what restaurants have done. And New York City's restaurants, it has a disproportionate footprint. This is what makes New York an international destination. So, Dr. Ahmed, listen to this. People that don't know, listening around the country, because we're national, we have built, they have built structures, some tents, some physical structures. So you sit there in smaller buildings well, where you, with heaters in 10-degree weather in order to keep the restaurants going. It's more dangerous with these, with these new adjustments. 
It, it's unnecessary. And I think what's been very concerning to me is restaurants have been selectively punished. Foot traffic at restaurants is down 20% yes. to pre-pandemic levels. Grocery stores are 80% of pre-pandemic. I can't see social distancing being enforced in grocery stores. The ventilation is not the same. Big box warehouses uh, have a different set of functions. They've actually picked up business in this pe period. So I'm concerned that science is falsely being used to selectively eliminate a, an industry right. that but, makes New York New York, but also causes enormous future public health. Risks. Well, don't worry. The governor, uh, you, Governor Cuomo, don't, don't worry. He's not backing the science. Listen to him. Cut 18. The experts... In quotes, those are air quotes, uh, because I don't believe anyone really knows what's coming with COVID. Uh, and that's been true since day one. Uh, they give us their best medical advice, but nobody knows. Really? This is so upsetting because this is yet another example of how someone in a very powerful position is undermining our best efforts to get us through the pandemic. Remember, he expressed a great deal of skepticism about the vaccine before it had even arrived and then potentially was delaying arrival of vaccine to New York with his own panel. And now we're one of the slowest rollouts in the nation when we were the global epicenter for this vaccine. He set aside uh, guidelines that New York State had had since 9-11 for mass vaccination. Oh, no, I need to create a new plan. This kind of arrogance is costing the health and the jobs and the economic future of our cities. And I don't blame it on the medical experts that are advising the governor. I'm not certain or confident that their expertise is actually being accepted. Right. I think nine people just resigned from his medical advice team reported by the New right. York Times. Dr. Man, I want to get to a few other things. To, I want to get a few other things. First what, off, on the vaccine, uh, what are you seeing? Are you getting enough of the vaccine at NYU and elsewhere when you talk to your other colleagues? So we've done a tremendous job vaccinating most of our workforce such that we're now also able to offer it to the public, but we're limited by New York State. We're not a receiving center for the vaccine hub. In Long Island, that's at Northwell. Uh, so when we get vaccines, we're able to call patients in and have them do that and also uh, vaccinate members of the public that are in certain categories. But it needs to be much faster. Israel is vaccinating its population seven times faster than America. And also... We uh, And that's not an NYU issue. That's a New York State issue. And also, we need to spend, spend better education on the vaccine. This vaccine people are afraid of because it came with Operation Warp Speed. They think somehow corners were cut. But it used the most unbelievable innovative technology that parallel in parallel tested the vaccine in a way that normally would have taken a decade. So it's revolutionizing the development of future vaccines, but it's very safe. It's very effective. The great news is Johnson & Johnson's vaccine that I think is about to get emergency use authorization. Um, its first dose is showing efficacy in, in the 90% range, but especially very effective in people at risk of moderate to severe disease. That's gotcha. Dr. Ackman, thanks so much. Uh, very beneficial, and I hear your outrage and, and feel that restaurant pain. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want, truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. The peace and quiet the Langford family have always known in Mexico was taken from them on a cold winter morning in early November 2019, when nine women and children from this Mormon family were massacred. It was a nightmare that I wish we'd wake up from, and it never happened. These women were innocent, and these children were innocent. Uh, that is a little of the story that aired Sunday night on Fox News Channel, but now you can see all of it on Fox Nation. It's... Um, you have to get this app. It's fantastic. Lara Logan's series is great. Uh, it's called Lara Logan Has No Agenda. And there'll be a new episode every Monday uh, starting yesterday. Lara, welcome back. Thank you so much, Brian. Yeah, uh, great job on Sunday. Just giving his idea uh, that hellacious story uh, with that family who had gunned down by a drug cartel in Mexico and people didn't get behind, uh, find out really what happened there until you brought that to life. What was you before we talk about the generally immigration and some of the proposals that President Biden will put into executive order today? I'm just wondering, what was the biggest surprise as you interviewed this family? You know, it really was how normal they were, because uh, I guess, you know, all of us, we have to be more aware of our own bias. And, you know, you're used to hearing about cults and, you know, crazy Mormon people and, you know, a gazillion children and parents marrying their own daughters and all this stuff. So you have this built-in prejudice um, that you don't maybe not even aware of. And when I went there, I just, um, I was really taken um, aback by how normal they are. They're not particularly, uh, you know, they're certainly not fundamentally religious um, or anything like that. They're very uh, kind to each other, industrious. You know, they build everything themselves and make everything from scratch. And what's kind of ironic is that so many things that are in fashion today, like, you know, holistic medicine and uh, organic foods, I mean, they've been living that way <laughs> all their lives. Yeah, it's amazing. And then you find out about the, the horror that came to their family, how they were uh, shot and burned alive in these cars and these vehicles, and the family managed to pull it all together. But, Laura, what are we going to be seeing in your series all year long? And how does it relate to what Joe Biden's doing today with his immigration proposals? Well, we decided to go back to the border long before the election was even held. Um, and yet, ironically, it turned out that, you know, we were down there right as the um, administrations were changing. And um, the, the, you know what, what you see on the border, to me, is symbolic of what you're seeing um, in a number of different areas, because these aren't incremental policy changes, right? These are drastic um, sort of really life-altering um, historic changes in how these things are being handled. For example, um, under the new administration year, you're going to see um, a path to citizenship. So what's happening right now is that there's a, a dramatic increase in the number of people that are coming illegally um, and trying to run from Border Patrol, you know, in, in various uh, sectors from Big Bend, um, you know, all the way to San Diego, the numbers are up 40, uh, 50, 60 percent. 
Um, and that applies as well to gotaways, the people, you know, who Border Patrol sees or somehow confirms that they either see them with their own eyes or on cameras or on the census, um, but they can't get to them. Um, and so now agents are talking about literally grabbing people as others are just running past them. There's just uh, too many for them to stop on, uh, you know, on occasion. So what all of this means, it's preparation for um, a Biden path to citizenship, because if you can show that you were in the country yep. before January 20th, um, when he took over power, then you are, you know, you can be eligible for this citizenship. And um, and so really what Border Patrol says is they're no better equipped to know how long you've been in the country if you're illegal than they are to know who you are, right? Because you show up there with a birth certificate or a piece of paper, you know, that says, you know, my name is this or that. How can they check it? You know, we have very, very few and limited means of verifying who anyone is. And what this effectively means is that all these, you know, many of these people who come, you don't actually really know anything about them, particularly if they come from a country like China. Yeah. And that is of, you know, that's of unique significance right now because the Chinese are really responsible for the deadliest street drug in the history of this country. Uh, yeah, uh, fentanyl. So yeah. a couple of things that the Biden's actions are going to do. He is going to sign an executive order. He's going to do it today. He is going to ask the high court to put off the wall in asylum cases. So he's not going yep. to fight to to reprogram money uh, to the wall to finish the 350 miles. He's going to develop a strategy to address what he calls irregular migration on our southern border. If you came here, he's going to end deportation. Texas sued and got to stay yep. for anybody who comes here for 100 days. If you come, you get to stay. And hundreds will be yep. deported. You know, so uh, he's going to okay, restore so, faith in so, our legal immigration right. system, promote integration of a, of new Americans. So, eleven million Americans. He's going to give an eight year path to citizenship. What what message is that to Central least, America? Well, it's very interesting that you put it like that. Let me tell you what it means in practical terms. To implement that policy on the border means. Uh, this is these are the warning orders that have been given uh, out at meetings in uh, at border patrol right and the border agencies no more security patrols if you're on one of the uh, boat units you're going to be doing uh, rescues now um, you're no longer going to have horse patrols you're no longer going to have your ATVs those special units they're all everything is going to be shifted to migrant care and they're expecting so many people. They're bringing um, agents from the northern border. They're bringing them um, from the ports of entry. They're shutting down all the checkpoints, the internal checkpoints. So like various checkpoints, that's 80 miles in. All of those checkpoints are going to be shut down. Everyone is going to be moved to uh, migrant care and migrant duty because the border still... Uh, by both sides, Democrat and Republican, is still defined as an immigration issue without addressing the national security aspect of the issue and without giving that equal weight. And all of this is happening at the exact moment when Mexico is, instead of, as the U.S. goes to a more open border, and as you point out, bypasses the legal immigration system, right? What they're doing in Mexico is they're doubling down on their sovereignty and their sovereign territory, and they have restricted cooperation with U.S. agents, basically rendering it, uh, you know, extremely difficult, and um, and also uh, limiting their own people um, who now have to report any contact with U.S. agents. So essentially what you have is the Mexican government, which is taking orders from its parallel shadow government, which are the Mexican cartels. And U.S. law enforcement, you know, DEA, all these agencies, their jurisdiction ends at that border, 
right? They have no um, authority and uh, legal rights outside of their border. So, uh, and that's the way it applies for everybody. But what it essentially means is you've now got the government of Mexico limiting and restricting uh, that relationship dramatically. Um, and you've got the cartels doubling down because they're the ones in control of the border. They're going to use this mass flow of people to make even more money than they have been making because what you're looking at is not just, you know, a way in for, for good people. It's also it's the largest form of modern slavery. It's also human trafficking. It's yeah. a whole lot of things. And, um, and all of this at the time when they're going to be used as cover to bring in even more drugs. And people think they know what drugs are. They think they know what fentanyl is. But what they don't understand is that fentanyl is being mixed into every single kind of illegal drug. They're trying to kill so us. China is trying to kill us yeah. in every way possible. Uh, yes. And, and they're doing right. that. They're solely responsible. Uh, Laura, is some of this stuff in your series we're going to see on Fox Nation? Uh, yes, it's all in um, my series. I mean, not the more, you know, sort of detailed stuff about what uh, the changes are for border agents. But there's a lot in there about all of this. Yes. So I got to bring you to something else. Joe Biden says, I'm going to reunite everybody with their families uh, that came across and were separated. What he doesn't understand is a lot of those kids were brought there by people hired to bring them there, mules, who would not have drugs, have a kid, because the kid gets to stay. And the the guy gets to stay, too, if he's a parent. But as soon as they press him or put a DNA kit, they realize it's not the parent. You can't reunify Uh these families. Well, Brian, it's very interesting you raise this point because now the definition of family has been broadened. So you no longer have to be the father or the mother of someone that a child that you're bringing or the grandmother. Now you can be an in-law. Now you just have to have one person in the group that is family or is a child. And um, and there's going to be no time. Border Patrol agents have already been told there isn't going to be time to do the interviews and the, and the background checks and the things that they used to do to try and figure out if someone actually was part of the family. Of course. It is no longer their problem or even their responsibility. They just have to get these kids and get these people as quickly as possible to the processing centers so nobody accuses Border Patrol of doing anything bad and nothing bad happens while these you know, people are in their custody, and then they have to get them out as fast as possible with a notice to appear. So, gotcha. um, yes, there are children who were trafficked. There are children who were um, separated, you know, presented. Yes, and that's why they introduced DNA testing down there. Um, and, and even though it was very limited, it hit a high number, um, you know, of false families or fake families, as they call them. And um, and now you don't even have to bother with that. So you gotcha. and, and on top of that. This is all happening during the pandemic. Let's not forget I know. the party. Of yeah, we're not letting the British in right? or the Norwegians, uh, but we're not, but we're letting everybody in uh, through the southern border. Laura, we look forward to seeing your series. Laura Logan has no agenda on Fox Nation. New show every Monday. Thanks, Laura. Great job. Okay. Thank you. All right. Uh, coming up next, uh, we do simulcast with uh, Stuart Varney, Varney and Company. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. 
Yeah, I'll be on FBN in a matter of seconds. Then Stuart Varno will come up to me and we'll do a segment. But I'll have some time usually in the back end to take some phone calls. So get aboard. 1-866-408-7669. And we'll talk about what's happening with this shutdown, lockdown, and build up what Dr. Kanta Ahmed said about why we're not in schools, why we're not in restaurants. The science does not say we should avoid either. Uh, so let's listen in together. Exactly. That means it's time for Brian Kilmeade, who joins us now. Brian, the story we're following here is that the little guy, those who rushed into GameStop and the others shorted stocks, they're getting killed. They're left holding the bag. They've lost a ton of money, including Dave Portnoy. Do you have a view on GameStop and the market at this point? Well, I just know uh, a couple of things. Uh, you know, I'm talking to a guy that you know quite well, Charles Panisher, a while ago. I think it was the way they bet against the market and how they went beyond the market to something that didn't even exist. I think that's shorting the market to a degree which goes beyond the stock that's issued is the main issue. The other thing is I think it brought to light what's happening in the market. I don't think people like it. I mean, you deal with it on a daily basis, but the average American is not day trading. They wonder how these multi-billionaires become multi-billionaires. Uh, and some of them earn it, no question. Some of them are smart about it. I understand it. Some of them are brilliant analysts. Well, that's no problem. But there's other times they're just playing the game. They're not creating. They're playing the game. And I just think they're, uh, the, uh, the David in this case, as opposed to the Goliath, is not equipped to win this fight. What I worry about is when the uh, CEO of Robin Hood gets hauled before Maxine Waters' committee in the House the Financial Services Committee, I can just imagine that with the little guy taking a beating, the politicians will be all over this, demanding retribution against the rich guys, the hedge funds and everybody else. Do you have a position on this, Brian? Yeah, I, I know do. I'm asking you questions which you know, yeah. you're not necessarily a market player here, but, but, but you got a position on this? I do. Here's my position. I, it's almost when big tech comes to Washington there's no experts there. So they talk in generalities about something they're not experts. I don't necessarily fault them. But you need experts behind you. Most of the people outside Elizabeth Warren, who just hates the market and hates people who live on the market, and he has, she, puts, uh, she scares everyone in Wall Street, they're going to be asking questions, and the people are going to be making speeches against other people, but they're not going to know what they're talking about. Yes. You know, David Perdue knew what he yes. was talking about. Obviously, he's a big trader. They're financial experts, but they want backs out. They're going to talk in generalities about greed. And also to the Wall Streeters, stop voting for the Democrats if you're upset about when they haul you in front of court, because most of Wall Street in downtown New York City reportedly voted for Joe Biden. So now this is a situation where people are uh, equally outraged on both sides. I don't expect the president to get serious questions on GameStop because the White House press secretary is basically saying that they're going to they're, they're going to vet reporter questions before they are asked. That's not a free flow press discussion where you can ask about GameStop and the market. That's not going to happen, Brian. So the Daily Beast has this story today where anonymous reporters who are covering the White House are offended and a little upset that the White House is asking ahead of time before their press conferences what questions they are and will choose which ones to answer. They have come back and say, well, we just don't want to look like we're avoiding the questions. We just want a heads up on what you're interested in. I'm not buying it. 
they want a heads up to get the answer and decide what they're going to answer or not. Because now, when especially early on, every network takes it. So I think that, I mean, can you imagine if Trump was doing this, how they'd say it? Now, in the past, I just saw this one deputy press secretary and said, we did that a little bit with the Obama administration. But they did it. They said uh, they said this is not unusual. It was Trump people that made this whole thing unusual. Well, then why are the White House correspondents upset by it, I ask? Well, we're all getting forced into this narrow band of opinion. You can't stray outside of that. You'll be cancelled if you do. You'll lose your job. You'll lose your reputation. Now, this is a very serious thing. It's basically, it's censorship, and I think it's out of the question. Last word to you. Yeah, my last word uh, is this. They're all on the same team wearing the same jersey. But you have an ability to stand out as a Washington correspondent. You don't need me to say it. By not being abrasive, not asking terrible, hard questions, but being polite, delivering sincere, sincere and wanting the answers. Don't do the job to be famous. Do it to cover the story. And you can be direct and not get canceled. And I think we're seeing that now. Yep. The, the way they were so rude to the press secretaries and to Trump in particular was not indicative of the office in which they hold and the position in which they, they, uh, they are in. And I think you've got to be direct in the White House. There's a lot of pride in there. My sense is a great if you want to show courage, Put your name on the complaint in the Daily Beast. Don't be anonymous. Put your name and yeah. say, I'm, what, I'm, yeah. I'm tired of pre-screening my questions. Well said. Brian, thank you very much indeed for joining us today. Sorry I threw stuff at you that you may have not been uh, ready to go out, but you, you did great, man. You did great. Uh, go get him, Sue. Right, thank kill you. Kill <laughs> All right, go Exits get him. left or right? All right, uh, let's go to our phones, one 866 Robbie, listen to WABC. Hey, Robbie. Hey, good morning, Brian. How you doing? I'm doing great. What's on your mind? Okay, well, I am a New Jersey taxpaying claimant with unemployment, and there are tens of thousands of us that aren't getting our benefits that have exhausted. New so Jersey, in other words, you, you've, you've been a year? You've been unemployed for a year? Uh, it will become April, and there's benefits that have been being given out by the government other states are paying them. New Jersey is not. Murphy's avoiding the answers. New Jersey unemployment, you know, you call. Once you do get through, which could take days and weeks to get somebody, they just keep telling us to wait. People that have exhausted December 26th, they haven't gotten anything. They didn't. I, I exhausted on uh, mm-hmm. January 2nd. Robbie, what kind of job are you looking for? I work in a dealership in, in the office. They're not busy yeah. because, you know, it's bad. I've been doing this. Well, Rob, Robbie, hang in there. Uh, I did hear the car industry is coming back. Hopefully that'll mean uh, more money for you and, and back at work. We'll look into that. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. 
Brian. Thanks Kill so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We got a big hour coming your way. We'll talk a little Super Bowl with Anthony Munoz, arguably the best offensive lineman in the history of the NFL. Talk about the Super Bowl uh, Sunday, which is now just a few days away. Brady uh, against Mahomes, reigning MVP uh, against the greatest ever. It's so easy to sell that game. It's my privilege to bring back to the show for the first time as former Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. Mr. Secretary, thanks so much for joining us. Brian, it's great to be with you. As a Kansan, I'm, I've got a big, I've got a big rooting interest on Sunday too. Oh yes, I can imagine that. But I mean, first off, have you ever seen an easier game to sell than these two? I mean, uh, it should be, it should be wonderful. Right, and we got twenty. We should have about twenty-five thousand people in the stands, many of which are, um, are people who are in the front lines in this pandemic. So very appropriate. Yeah, it should be a good game. I'm looking forward to watching it. Uh, so have have you gotten the vaccine yet? I have. I, I received the vaccine uh, a few weeks back now. And any after effects? Uh, no, none. Felt fine. Uh, uh, second dose, I felt a little uh, like flu-like for about an hour, but could have been something else. I, I felt fine. I feel fine now, and I'm, I'm just glad I was able to get it. I hope every American get a chance to get it as quickly as possible. Absolutely. How, how often do you think about how this whole thing started and how we still do not know the details of what happened in Wuhan at that lab in that wet market? Uh, how vigorously have you personally pursued that? Brenna, I think about it a lot. The devastation that we're all living, even today, right? the loss of lives now amounting to the hundreds of thousands here in the United States, the destruction of jobs and, and property and wealth, um, truly extraordinary. And it didn't have to be that way. And so I and my team spent a lot of time trying to figure out what precisely happened, how it happened, both for for the ability to deter this from happening again in second someone's got to be held accountable when this kind of thing happens um, someone has to be held responsible we know we know the party now this is in fact the wuhan virus there is increasing evidence that this did in fact come from the laboratory although we don't know that for sure uh, but we know for sure that the chinese communist party uh, disappeared journalists we know they uh, hid doctors that had information we know they didn't tell the world health organization the truth and they corrupted it and that is that is tragic for the world. We can't let it happen again, and we need to make sure that the individuals responsible for this, and indeed the Chinese Communist Party, is held accountable for the tragedy they have wrought upon the world. But they're not. I mean, it's the opposite. They're taking advantage, maybe perhaps, according to many reports, they're recovering first, and they're taking advantage of it. And the European Union has signed a trade deal with China. Yeah. The deal the EU struck, we urged them not to do for multiple reasons, one of which is the one we're talking about, but more broadly than that, um, it's a recipe for continued appeasement, continued growth of the Chinese Communist Party's reach inside of Europe. Brian, when we talk about China, it often it's a foreign policy matter. We worry about issues in the South China Sea, and we worry about issues uh, in Hong Kong and in uh, with Taiwan. But they're inside the gates here in the United States. They are impacting us here in the United States. They've destroyed millions and millions of American jobs. They are lobbying our members of Congress. We've seen this with Congressman Swalwell. They are working our school boards and our city councils to change our way of life here in the United States. And the EU trade deal is just but a an example of a people and a nation, and in that case, Europe, the European Union, the region, that doesn't appreciate that risk in a way that will protect their own citizens. It's unbelievable. Um, so listen to this quote, which you probably know, but I'll, for our listeners. At the World Economic Forum, Angela Merkel said this, 
She thought Europe should not join with either the U.S. or China against the other, coming up on top of an earlier European refusal to defer moving on to an EU-China investment accord until the incoming Biden administration could weigh in on the matter. Europe has made its view crystal clear uh, about the Uyghurs in Hong Kong and the growing military threats, but they can't pick a winner between the U.S. (laughs) and China? These are our allies? Am I missing something, a nuance? No, Brian, there's there's not much nuance in what Chancellor Merkel said there. Uh, you know, there was a, a storyline that the left media had put forth these last four years that the challenges with Europe were because of President Trump or Mike Pompeo, because we didn't appreciate them enough, we didn't love on them enough. The truth is, you can see from Chancellor Merkel now during the Biden administration, they can't figure out that the Chinese Communist Party is aiming to destroy civilization in the West in the way that we've understood it for the last 50 years. Uh, and the United States is trying to make the world a better place, that we're a force for good in the world. It, it, it's not about choosing between us. It's about choosing what kind of life you want to have for your kids and for your grandkids. And I hope every country, including every country in Europe, will acknowledge that building out with the United States is the right solution and that we have to confront the challenge from the Chinese Communist Party. If we don't, the world will look an awful lot different 10 and 20 and 30 years from now. So an official in China uh, from their uh, a region, a far west region, accused you uh, on Monday, yesterday, of trying to undermine Beijing's relations with the new president and the new State Department. What's your reaction to that? And they say it's over the Uyghur ethnic group uh, calling it genocide. Number one, I have to intercede. It is. But but are you interceding once you're out of oh, – since you've left? Have you interceded at all? Oh, goodness, no. Uh, look, uh, the first thing they did when I left office was uh, blacklist me, uh, sanction me, uh, and a handful of others in the Trump administration to send a message to the Biden administration senior leaders that says if you dare – to defend your nation, to support your people, if you dare to work so hard to make sure that the American people continue to live in freedom and democracy, we're going to punish you as a uh, a leader, a confirmed leader for Secretary of State. Uh, we're going to punish you personally. So I can't travel to China. I can't do business in China. Uh, that's fine. My, we'll cancel my vacation to Shanghai. Right. Uh, what they were doing was sending a message to the leadership here in the United States, and I hope no one will accept the Chinese Communist Party behaving in that way. Uh, I'm not interceding. What The decision that was made to declare that genocide was taking place, that the horrors that are taking place in western China are real. It was important that the United States identify that and call it out and set the standard for the world. And now I hope every nation will join in recognizing this threat and trying to prevent right. what's taking place in Western China that looks and feels very much like what's happening in Europe in the 1930s. So let me ask you, Mr. Secretary, uh, first off, they called you hysterical and a rat and the worst secretary of state in history. I want you to get to go, just to comment on that. Uh, I'm, I, I'm not hysterical. I think your listeners can all tell I'm, I'm, a, pretty Never have calm, been. I'm a pretty calm fellow. Yeah. Uh, pretty steady and measured, uh, but make no mistake about it, I, I am also willing to call out bad actors around the world. And President Trump, for the first time in 50 years, uh, declared to the world that enough is enough. We're not going to let the Chinese Communist Party continue to uh, undermine the American way of life. We did it, uh, and for that, uh, we've seen the reactions from Chinese leadership and the Chinese media that you just read. A um, couple other things. Are you disappointed in this Secretary of State and this administration for not condemning China for blacklisting you guys? 
you know, they made a comment early. They're still feeling their way through it. Um, we have defended every leader that came before us. When the Russians went after a, an official from the Obama administration that for actions he took during the Obama administration, we defended them. I hope they'll do that, not just for me and for the senior leaders, um, but for everybody who was doing their best to act on behalf of the United States. Uh, I, I hope. I, I, I know Mr. Blinken just a little bit. And I think Secretary Blinken understands the American interest in doing just that. I hope they'll I hope they'll act on that. All right. So uh, a couple other things. The 60 Minutes feature just blew me away on Sunday about what China's up to. They're trying to get our DNA. Listen to some of this. Cut 35. Think about the dawn of um, the Internet of Things and the 5G networks and, the, and smart homes and smart cities. There are going to be sensors everywhere. It's going to be tracking your movement, your behavior, habits. And ultimately, it's going to have a biological application, meaning that based on the data that gets collected, they'll be able to analyze it and look at improving your health. That data becomes incredibly relevant and very, very valuable. You're describing data almost as a, as a commodity. Data is absolutely going to be the new oil. And that's how they view it. Our DNA is their oil? Brian, I, I think what you just heard there is completely in line with both the facts that I saw in my four years serving in the Trump administration, uh, moreover, consistent with what we've seen from the intent of the Chinese Communist Party. Um, these are things we've not seen any place in the world before. It's why, it's why we work so hard to begin to disconnect the technology issues, right, pushing back against Huawei. Uh, globally, making making it clear that the United States wasn't going to accept our partners using these Chinese information systems, the telecommunications infrastructure, in a way that allowed American data uh, to move into the hands of the People's Liberation Army of China. Uh, we, we didn't get it all done. There is still more work to do. I am counting on the American people to demand that this administration and the administration after it continue to work on this. It, it is imperative that we keep this information in a place that doesn't give the People's Liberation Army and the Chinese Communist Party the capacity to do harm to us with it. Are you worried that this administration is compromised because of the investment that Hunter Biden did, because Joe Biden was playing basketball with President Xi, that they have this relationship, this business relationship that might might keep America at bay? We've got to watch what they do, uh, not rhetoric. This is what I talked about when I was serving as well. Um, you should certainly pay attention to the things that we say, but most important is watch the actions that we undertake. I'm proud of the work that the uh, Trump administration did to push back against the Chinese Communist Party. I am counting on, and I think more importantly, the American people are counting on the Biden administration continuing down that path. We'll have to watch. They're in their early days. There is a bipartisan consensus on the threat. I hope that leaders across the broad political spectrum will come to understand how important it is to get this particular thing right and get it right now. So the, uh, let's switch over to Russia. Navalny is in jail now. He knew he was going to be arrested after he was almost killed and poisoned. It's assumed by Vladimir Putin's people since he is uh, with their, their most popular critic. And uh, the videos is released of the posh lifestyle of Vladimir Putin and how much he's stolen from his suffering people in Russia is really starting to hit home. Two straight weekends, over 5,000 arrests. Here's the current Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, Cut 34. We're actually reviewing a series of Russian actions that are deeply, deeply disturbing. Uh, the, the actions taken against Mr. Navalny, including uh, the apparent use of a chemical weapon uh, against him, but also interference in our elections, the use of uh, cyber tools and the so-called solar winds attack that uh, Russia appears to be responsible for, uh, getting into computer networks, both public and private. And finally, we have the reported bounties on American troops in Afghanistan. We're looking into all of these things. All of them are under review. 
And depending on the findings of those reviews, we will take steps uh, to um, stand up for our interests and stand against Russian aggressive actions. Those are all things that President Trump never raised with Vladimir Putin. And President Biden raised it in his very first, very first telephone call. So do, do the protesters in Russia and the rest of the world, and does Vladimir Putin most importantly know that there is, that this is not just rhetoric from you and from President Biden, that there will be real action depending on what the evidence proves. Andrew, the president could not have been clearer in his conversation with, with President Putin. And we have to be able to do two things at the same time. How do you feel about uh, Andrea Mitchell assuming that she knows your relationship with Russia? Do you want to clarify anything? Uh, you know, uh, actually, Secretary Blinken largely got it right uh, in his description of these things that the Russians have done. I hope they'll take actions. Um, there was no administration history that's been tougher on Russia than the Trump administration was. Again, don't don't look at rhetoric or talk or what someone says. Look at what we did, uh, hundreds of sanctions. Uh, we imposed real costs on them. We built our military in a way that uh, Vladimir Putin didn't like. Great. We, for the first time, restored the capacity for our military to have the resources it need to confront great powers like this, like the Russians and like the Chinese Communist Party. So I'm proud of the work we did there. Uh, you know, Andrea Mitchell's comments uh, suggest she knows things that she simply doesn't know. And uh, what the president said uh, with Vladimir Putin is obviously between the two of them. Um, but most importantly, you can see not what uh, he said, but you can see precisely what our administration did. And we uh, imposed real cost on Russia. I hope the next administration will take seriously these very things that Mr. Blinken referred to there. Have you personally given brushback pitches to Russia? Have you personally been uh, tough with them, Lavrov, your contemporary? On on every one of those issues, uh, including the one he mentioned at the end, the issue of uh, Russian bounties, I spoke with Foreign Minister Lavrov about each of those on multiple occasions, making clear that these were unacceptable activities. Interesting. Um, Mr. Secretary, do you regret not running for the Senate seat in Kansas? You know, uh, I, I don't look back so much, Brian. I, I look forward. I had an amazing opportunity, an incredible privilege to serve uh, America as the Secretary of State. And before that, as the director of the Central Intelligence Agency, I wouldn't trade those opportunities for the world. Uh, Susan and I do miss Kansas, uh, but we had an incredible opportunity in front of us, and uh, we're proud of the work that we did. Now, I, don't, I, I hope this is the first of many appearances, but just the first time since I've talked to you since you're out of the State Department, um, I mean, I was invited. I was lucky enough to be invited because of the history books I wrote to one of your Madison dinners. I think the first one. It was unbelievable. People from all walks of life got a chance to meet you, meet your wife, and just talk to people about it. But like, if you were so targeted, that became a big issue. Madison crazy, dinners based on James Madison when it he was, was Secretary it, of State. It was. It was crazy. Look, there's still still people are still upset about it. It was. A, it was a wonderful evening. It was a lot of fun. But even more than that, it was important. We all got a chance to exchange ideas and views and talk about the world and what we were seeing and hearing. It was important to me in my function as the Secretary of State. Uh, I, you know, we thought they were lovely opportunities to improve the capacity for me to perform my duties as Secretary of State. I would do it all again precisely the same, Brian. Uh, I well, and I loved it obviously, and and I, my uh, company was happy to let me go. And real quick, have you spoken to the president since he left? I spoke to him in between uh, the uh, before the certified result. Just so we have twenty seconds. Have you spoken to him? And how would you describe the president's mindset if you have? Uh, well, the last time I spoke to him, he was. Uh, working his way through, uh, figuring out how, what he was going to do in much the same way I'm, I'm thinking about how I'm going to proceed here as well. And your next move is? Oh, goodness gracious. I'm, I'm going to be at the Hudson Institute doing a little thinking and writing. And beyond that, Brian, I haven't really figured it out just yet. Go on vacation once you're allowed. 
<laughs> Soon enough. Soon All right. enough. Not to China. Yeah, yeah. too bad you had to give up that plane. <laughs> Mr. Secretary, thanks so much. Uh, you did a great Brian. job. Uh, the you, country sir. thanks you. But number one in your class at West Point, everyone knew you were going to be an achiever in you. And the best is yet to come, I think. Mike Pompeo, thank you. Thank you, Brian. So long. You got it. Uh, back with your calls in just a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From his mouth to to your your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I'm a survivor of sexual assault, and I haven't told many people that in my life. When we go through trauma, trauma compounds on each other. And so whether you had a negligent or, you know, a neglectful parent or whether you had someone who was verbally abusive to you, whether you are a survivor of abuse, whether you experience any sort of trauma in your life, small to large, all of our experiences make us who we are. All right, uh, that is uh, AOC continuing to make news with this revelation that she was sexually assaulted uh, as a kid and having that insurrection or whatever you want to call it on January 6th brought back all those memories. Uh, Nat, listen to WFTL in Florida. Hey, Nat. Yeah, hi, Brian. I heard your conversation with Mike Pompeo. It was great. But I wanted to defend Angela Merkel, which anyone who knows me knows what what the heck's going on. I have no use for her, but I don't blame her for her policy. The American people clearly rejected in the last election a strong stance against China. I'm not saying that's the reason they voted against Trump. There are a lot of other reasons. But the point is, the American people showed what Lenin said. The capitalists will sell you the rope you use to hang them with. And that's what this country is about. I, I'm 70 years old. I think this country is basically uh, about to be buried. I don't I don't feel that down about it, but I can understand what your perspective is. Interesting. Interesting angle on that. Uh, I, I think that the most uh, you are much better off with America than this brutal regime that just poisoned the world in any scenario. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hello, everyone. Dick Kendrick with Merlin Olson in Cincinnati. Just simply, the meteorologist put it this way, it's gone from bitter cold to brutally cold. Did you ever play in anything like it? I didn't play in this colder weather. I played in some cold games, Dick, but nothing to match this. Riverfront Stadium, these fans who have waited 14 years for this, their first championship game. And that is... Uh, of course, Dick Enberg talking about the Chargers Bengals game. Uh, Anthony Munoz uh, was the star of that, one of the stars of that team, and uh, that would, the year was 1981. So they would get to the Super Bowl. Boomer Sison would be their quarterback, but they wouldn't come out on top. Joining us now, a guy that did come on top, and many people consider, and most do, the best offensive lineman to ever play football. Anthony Munoz, welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, Brian, thank you. Appreciate you having me on, man. It's always great to talk to you. And 
I hear that uh, from that game, and I start getting a little cold. I, I grab my jacket and put it on when you uh, had that highlight there. Minus 9 degrees, wind chill minus 59. Oh. Did you wear short sleeves? Bare arms. Here's what I had on the top. I had a gray T-shirt, shoulder pads, and jersey, and a couple hand pads, but that was it. We decided uh, to go bare arm, 59 below. It's one of those things, you know, at first people say, was it a psychological thing? I you're talking an offensive lineman. It was like you don't give the defensive lineman cloth to grab, but then it eventually it becomes a psychological thing because, you know, San Diego had been in uh, Miami the week before, 100 degrees, 100% humidity. Now they're in 59 below. But uh, you don't want the defensive lineman to grab any material. But we did that, and it was brutally cold. Well, wow. so, but when did you stop being cold? Well, still now at my age, I uh, kind of thaw my hands out every morning by the heater. So they're still thawing <laughs> ah. out. <laughs> it was I think I started after about 50 minutes in the hot shower after that game I think my body started to thaw out and just another moment from your career 1988 AFC championship game the Bills who was stellar back then against the Bengals cut 38 the Cincinnati Bengals were the last team to lose in the regular season they won their first six they're the last AFC team to lose in the total season AFC champions to Miami in the Super Bowl, 21-10 over Buffalo. Your thoughts about that moment? Wow, amazing, because just like that first Super Bowl, the year before that first Super Bowl, we were 6-10. and 10. The year before this one you just played, we were 4-11. and 11. Terrible year. We come back. We, uh, we get home field advantage. We go 12-4. and four. We play the AFC Championship game at home. And to beat Buffalo, who shortly after that went on the string of four straight Super Bowls, was amazing. They were loaded defensively. They were loaded offensively. And, uh, you know, Boomer, Sias, and our quarterback, we just took it to them. We lined up and double tied in. I think we ran the football for over 200 yards and, uh, and got to Super Bowl 23. But uh, that was exciting. So, uh, Anthony, you know, years of the single, uh, Cincinnati Bengals, a single team. Uh, we have a game Sunday, and I believe it's the easiest sell in the history of Super Bowls. Uh, Tom Brady against the reigning Pat, uh, Pat, uh, MVP, Patrick Mahomes, going for back-to-back Super Bowls. Brady switches teams without a preseason, without uh, a chance to even work with the coaches. He was getting reprimanded for practicing, remember. And he goes out, and they were 7-5 and five at one point, but they go ahead and they, they win three straight Rhodes games to get to the Super Bowl. I mean... Tell me about this matchup. Do you look at this as a three-point game? Uh, right now, the Chiefs are three-point favorites. You know what? First of all, it's a shame that you can't have a full stadium for this game. I know. That we're going through this pandemic, and they can't fill it up because I believe this is an amazing game. And, and quite frankly, I think, in my humble opinion, I think it's going to be a close game. Uh, and I think that, you know, you mentioned Patrick Mahomes. You mentioned uh, Tom Brady. And then you talk about the speed that uh, Kansas City has with, you know, with their guys. But I think the hat is really on both defenses. I mean, how that defense plays against, you know, Mahomes, how they can contain him, Tyreek Hill and Kelsey and their running game. And, of course, Brady has some pretty good weapons himself with Godwin and Evans and Gronkowski and their pretty good running game. So uh, I do. I, you know, I think uh, it is a very close game. Uh, I'm not one that has ever set point spreads, but I think uh, I think they're pretty accurate in, in saying that this is going to be a very close game. It's, I think it's going to be an amazing game. So as a lineman, Mahomes is elusive, but he's also mobile. Does it make it harder, even though it's it's great to know that he can be uh, get away, 
Is it kind of also a little bit challenging because you never know where exactly he is as a lineman behind you? It really is. Now, you take Tom Brady. You know he's going to be at that one spot unless he, Always. he gets hit or he gets flushed. Yeah, he's going to be there. So you're past it. You have certain technique. You know which, which way to take the D lineman. Now, with Mahomes, you just have to make sure that you're on the D lineman wherever he goes because you never know. You can't see him scrambling behind you. So if he goes one way or the other, you just got to make sure that you stick with that defensive lineman. So it, it is somewhat a little tougher, you know, because of the landmark with Brady. And then, you know, you have a landmark with Mahomes, but he might not be at that landmark the whole time. Right. Very interesting. Uh, so, Anthony, a couple of things. Have you ever been yelled at uh, by your quarterback, giving up a sack? I mean, Brady <laughs> yells at you if you give up a sack. If you're not doing your job, he gets in your face on the sidelines. Does that fly with you? I tell you what, it's football, man. It's tough. It uh, you got to hold each other accountable, and I think, I think a great leader holds their team accountable, but also encourages your team. So yeah, I have not, nothing, uh, no problem with the quarterback. If I was to mess up, get get him hit, that the boomer would look at me and say, "Come on, man, get it done," you know, because you got to hold me accountable. Then, but uh, you know, if he if he leaves the game after throwing the ball thirty, forty times, and his uniform's clean, and we're playing in mud. And put your arm around me, quarterback, and uh, tell me good job. So you know what I did yesterday? I downloaded, uh, actually got the audiobook TB12. Because when you watch Brady, it's not a matter of being good. The way he moves at 43, I'm blown away. And, and the, he's, a, he's agile. I mean, he was never known as Fran Tarkington, but he's an agile guy. He doesn't look close to his age with or without the helmet on. And here's Brady <laughs> he talking really about how – I just want you to hear this, Anthony. Uh, here's okay. Brady talking about – uh, why, how long he might play. Would you consider playing beyond 45, especially with the way you're playing right now? Yeah, definitely. I would definitely consider that. And again, it's a physical sport. And, and uh, just the perspective I have on that is, you know, you never know kind of when, you know, that moment is just because it's a contact sport and there's a lot of training that goes into it. And again, it has to be 100% commitment from myself to keep doing it. I mean, <laughs> what were you doing at 43 and 45? 43 and 45, I was, uh, I was enjoying uh, golf. I was enjoying uh, watching my kids uh, play college ball and, uh, you know, getting off the couch very slow. <laughs> it, it's amazing. The guy, and then you mentioned the way he moved, but the way he throws the football, yeah. it looks like he has more velocity on it now at 43 than he did 10 years ago. And, you know, when we watched Michael Vick come out of college, we just say, I've never seen anyone with that type of athleticism. When you see certain players come out, you go, like, oh, my goodness, I've never seen anything like that. Nobody thought that about Tom Brady. No one ever said, oh, my God, once-in-a-generation <laughs> talent, six-round draft pick. I mean, what can you learn from you, this? <laughs> did you see his uh, 40 at the Combine? Have you watched that video? Uh, Shaquille O'Neal <laughs> talked about it the other day, and I watched it last night. <laughs> That's why they didn't talk about him. Like, uh, You know, it's one of those things you really can't, when there's a guy that is extremely smart and he's played at a program like Michigan, so he's played in big games, you know, until he gets into the league and then fails, you really can't say, well, six-round pick, he's getting into the league, you know. Yeah. Well, he's from Michigan. I mean, he had, a, he had a pretty good arm. Give him a chance, and he took advantage of it, and he ran with it. But, you know, I think if you would have talked to most football experts, they wouldn't have predicted what you've seen from his career to date. 
no one, especially since 40. If it ended at 35, no one would predict it. Yeah. But he's still playing at 43 exactly. with the second team bringing the Super Bowl. So, Anthony, yeah. uh, you, uh, you are supporting the SuperBowlBreakfast.com and Athletes in Action. Uh, this is going to, everything's remote and everything's different this year. You're congratulating Demario Davis from the New Orleans Saints for winning the 2021 Bart Starr Award. Uh, and then you talk about what's going to be happening at this virtual event. Well, the, the cool thing about it, and I'm excited about the, the virtual piece I got to do. It's going out. In fact, this whole, you know, you talk about the virtual. It's a, You can watch it on Facebook.com, Athletes in Action. Uh, I had a chance to do a virtual part with Rocky Blyer and Chad Hennings. I mean, here, Rocky Blyer, a war vet, four-time Super Bowl champ, national champion at uh, Notre Dame. Then you got Chad Hennings, who went to the Air Force Academy. Well, but wait, I got to serve the military, but first I'm going to win the Outland Trophy. I'm going to be one of the top draft picks. And then after I do my service, I'm going to go win three Super Bowls with the uh, Dallas Cowboys. So I had a chance to interview both those guys. It's going to be shown on the Armed Forces Network. And, I mean, it's amazing. There's going to be some great piece of Tony Dungy's involved with it. Uh, so I really, it's a 34th annual NFL sanctioned Super Bowl breakfast. You know, you mentioned Demario uh, Davis. I mean, the guy's had not only a great career on the field, but the Bart Starr Award for the work you do off the field. And I was fortunate enough uh, several years ago, 1990, to win this the year after Steve Largent and the year uh, between uh, Steve Largent and Mike Singletary. But uh, it's great because it's going to be live all morning Saturday, all afternoon, uh, Facebook.com, uh, Athletes in Action. Uh, it, it's amazing. And uh, to be able to to really focus on the, the Bart Star Award but then have interviews from – Usually have interviews from guys that are playing in the Super Bowl, guys that have played in it. Uh, you have you know live interviews, but now they're going to be virtual interviews. And uh, so I'm thankful to be part of this. Uh, 34 years, I've been involved with it for over 30 years. Uh, it's a shame that uh, we can't do it in person, but uh, like we adjust and do di- differently uh, with virtual, uh, it's it's amazing. So uh, yeah, but I, I'm excited to, to watch it. I'm excited that uh, so many people are going to get a chance to watch it. I don't have a list of all the, the networks, but I think 15 different networks are going to be carrying this, uh, so all virtual. Uh, but you can go to Athletes in Action Facebook page, and, uh, mm-hmm. again, Demario Davis from the Orleans Saints. I believe he started with the Jets. Uh, he's a Pro Bowl-type player, all-pro player, uh, so it's fun. But, you know, to be able to – I got to get back to interviewing Rocky Blyer and Chad Hennings, two military guys, but also – I'm in that same fraternity as uh, NFL alumni. You know, I respect and I do it as, as much as I can. I know you do, Brian, with the military vets. And to be able to sit there, uh, I know it's virtually, but to interview Rocky Blyer, a guy that was still with the Steelers when I got into the league, and Chad Hennings, I knew about him going to the Air Force and the Cowboys, to talk about their experience, Rocky Blyer in Vietnam, and Chad Hennings, you know, running some – I mean, this guy's six foot six, and he was a, a pilot, a, you know, an Air Force pilot. And to talk to them about their, their, their right. military training and how the two compare the parallel of you know playing in the NFL and being military, I'm just thankful that we were able to focus on these two guys, not only their football careers, but also their military careers. Right. Anthony Munoz, uh, 13 season in the NFL with the Bengals. He had two Super Bowl appearances, both narrow losses to the 49ers, uh, but he made the NFL all-time team, and not many people think there's a better offensive lineman to ever play. Anthony, always great to talk to you, and I don't know what a Super Bowl would be without having a chance to speak with you, even in this pandemic year when I'm not a, uh, we really can't go cover it. Thanks so much. 
Brian, thank you. Anytime, and uh, you have a great day. And enjoy the game. All right, I will. You too. Anthony Munoz. When we come back, we'll take some phone calls, 1-866-408-7669, and also find out if there's more to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Got some great stories to share with you. Special thanks to Anthony Munoz for joining us, as well as the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. It's been a big, uh, big hour as we talk about the world and talk about what the world will be watching on Sunday, and that is the Super Bowl on another network. A year ago, we were having a great time in Miami, had no idea what was going to hit us. Uh, right? We were doing the radio, doing TV, buzzing back and forth. Right on the beach. Right it was on the fantastic. beach on South Beach. It was incredible. And I forgot. I think I might have done some. We might have had to do a shoot afterwards. Might have been the inaugural. You did. Was it the uh, not the inaugural? New Hampshire was after Miami. Oh, okay, that was it. Yes. What a difference. I know. Know what's the biggest difference? Because I know you really feel that. I'm not pregnant with twins. I know. (laughs) But now you got to raise them. The hard part. True. All right. And but so far so good, right? So far, they're still breathing. They're happy. They're healthy. It's a daily grading system. Uh, It's not easy. So let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Well, it looks like somebody else is getting fed up with New York. His name is Kevin James. And by the way, I'm really good friends with him. I would not be surprised if I am invited to his Florida beachfront mansion it is uh, in Delray. I don't know how happy he is. Maybe did he give in to this? He's got every room in this featured magazine about his new home in Delray. He purchased it for four, $15.95 million. No, but he got it for $14 million. He got a bargain. So he lost. So he saved $1.5 million. Yes. So he acted. Such- what, what was like? What was it? Because he's Kevin James? Well, here's my question. If you're such good friends with him, why are you finding out about it in the New York Post? Oh, I'm just reviewing it. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Like, he told me all about the whole <laughs> run up to this. I got a very similar house. I'm like, it looks like he copied me. Uh, no, this is an amazing house. It, it looks like a. It looks like a series of condos, right? Or, or a palace. It's. I mean, it's, it's an entire resort. He could lead a country in this. He, so, do you think he's inviting you there? I would not be surprised. Okay. I have not checked my phone because I have a show to do. But it's 18,906 square foot oceanfront. Remember, he was in Hitched, and that did very well. That was a good movie. Right. Like, how than, much do you think he got paid? I, I mean, hopefully at least $14 million <laughs> so he could afford the, ha- the right. house. Or at least the down payment. Next. Uh, since San Francisco teachers writing up an op-ed on Bernie Sanders' mittens saying it's a lesson in white privilege. Yeah, the socialist showing white privilege. You know, knowing him, he probably wouldn't even deny it. He'd probably apologize for it. This teacher's name is Ingrid Sire Uche, a former UC professor, UC Berkeley professor, who wrote in the San Francisco Chronicle that Vermont Senator's choice of recycled wool mittens were integrated into her class discussion on U.S. diversity and discrimination. Initially on Inauguration Day, she said her class talked about the deeper meaning of the historic day, including the vulnerability of democracy. But then it segued like it always does. As teacher said, not even on the radar until he became an instant internet. Uh, it became an Internet sensation, we know. Uh, he goes, I was puzzled and fuming at the individual as I strove to my best possible teacher. What did I see? What did I think my students should see? She said a wealthy, incredibly well-educated, white, privileged man showing up for perhaps the most important ritual of the decade in a puffy jacket and huge mittens. Manifest privilege, white privilege, male privilege, and class privilege all in the same way. Basically, she's saying if there was a 
you know, lower class person that showed up in mittens and a puffy jacket, they'd be, you know, laughed off the stage and made to feel inferior. At the same time, it's like, so you're saying the lower class person needs to show up in, like, designer things in order to fit in? I don't even get it. I, I mean, if you, if my class came up with that, I'd disband the class. I'd say you all failed. Next. The CDC is warning Super Bowl that they're against cheering at parties. You can watch the game, but fans are reminded to wear masks, maintain social distance, avoid crowded, poorly ventilated indoor spaces, wash your hands, and make small gathering safer, obviously. Clamp, stop your feet, or bring handheld noisemakers instead of cheering and yelling. Bring your own food, drinks, plates, cups, utensils, and condiments packets. That's, what a terrible party. I was going to say, it sounds like a party I want to go to, huh? Is this unbelievable? It's awful. No shouting, cheering, or singing. Well, that, I mean, that's going to hurt you. You do love to sing at a party. Especially when my team's winning. Yes. I think I, I sang Feelings once and More Than a Feeling. More Than a so, Feeling. Feeling and Everything by Boston. Uh, those are the two songs I sing during the Super Bowl. I don't sing during the Super Bowl, just so people don't write about that. Uh, but that, that was a very extraordinary More Than a Indeed. I'm sure our sponsor, Oxford Gold, is extremely happy. He should be. They should Buy be. real gold and silver just because of my more to know. Maybe you can afford a house like Kevin James. Maybe someday. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.